0: Hey everyone, uh, Eric from Hit Subscribe here and um, still here in Napa doing yet another installment of the Facebook Live a Freelancer Q&A series I did miss last week. Um, I was taking a bit of a vacation, so that was fun, but glad to be back and answering more questions. Um, this week the question I've got is uh, basically why do companies hire freelancers instead of employees? I think that's an interesting topic. And this um, I have a note here arose out of a discussion of responding to like job ads or job requirements um, for employees as a freelancer. So if, um, you know, there's a job up for a senior software engineer, uh, should you go and respond and reach out to that company and say, hey, I'm not looking for a job, but I am a freelance software engineer. Um, Perhaps that's a a whole other video that maybe I'll do at some point. Um, Short answer to that is no, don't do that. for a whole variety of reasons,' it's just the the TldR one is it probably won't work. it'll just annoy people and waste your time uh, so don't do that, but it did give rise if memory serves to this idea of like what's the difference like what what motivates a company to hire a freelancer when they could maybe theoretically hire an employee so um, I'm going to go through a list of reasons um, that a company might enlist a contractor or a freelancer rather than an employee, kind of starting from the most like obvious or tactical and ethically certain all the way down to like uh, situations that are pretty gray. Um, so this is just kind of like thinking off, um, I-, I listed a few out in-, in preparation to do that, but like as I think through this, uh, maybe the easiest one to understand is let's say that you have a very fixed uh, scope of work meaning um, you are a business owner and you have something very like discreet and obvious that needs to be done. Uh, as an example, I'll just throw something out there we're doing with Hit Subscribe right now. We built, uh, we, I, um, probably in retrospect foolishly built this internal software that helps um, our staff in a variety of ways like get content on our content calendar and such. So I actually wrote this custom like C Sharp app internally. I had some grand plans to eventually productize it, but anyway. Um, so we've got this thing, and I don't have time to maintain it. We are going to port over to a tool called Airtable, which is a low-code spreadsheet tool. Anyway, I guess the details aren't super important, but we have this very, like, tactical need to go from having our data um, in one system to, like, uh, another system. That's such a fixed scope of work and we're just going to hire someone to do that on a freelance basis. There would be no way, really, to, um, to turn that into an employed position it's you know a couple weeks worth of work i'm guessing and then it's done so uh that's a very common one as a freelancer um you may get hired to do something that's very um clear in the scope like uh a more common example might be if you're in the business of like web development somebody hires you to build a website that isn't going to be like a permanent staff role that's a thing that you do and then it's over it's project based so it can be easy to differentiate your own work from that of an employee if you have kind of a fixed scope or very clear deliverable that you tend to deliver, um, and that can be a great way to get hired as a freelancer, you know, so you're not competing with the idea of hiring an employee. Another similar one in that vein is uh, has to do with expertise. You may hire uh, someone in a freelance capacity because they have expertise that you don't, and significantly that you don't need to have on staff. So probably the easiest example of this. Um, was just having a call last week with a firm to do some bookkeeping, but also um, to do tax and tax planning. And um, for me, or for hit subscribe, and and me as the owner of it these days, um, tax prep is something that like anybody else, occurs once a year, tax planning, we might have to do tax strategy for the business a few times a year. But at best, you're talking two, three times per year that we have to think about taxes. So there would be no reason, I guess from a scope perspective, to bring somebody on full time to do that. But also, I don't really want to spend the time needed to get good enough at filing corporate tax returns to do that, even if I had the time or even you know, setting aside the scope consideration. I would still hire a freelancer, or in this case a vendor, to do it um, because I'm not good at it and they are. So as a freelancer, another situation that you might find yourself in, say you're doing graphic design or software, is you could market to companies that don't have that expertise in-house and they don't want it in-house. Uh, there's all kinds of like service-based companies, for instance, that might do that. You might go around to like dental practices and say, "Hey, I can build you a website because why on earth would a dental practice retain salaried staff to do that? It, it doesn't make any sense." So that's um, a couple of the most straightforward reasons that somebody might hire a freelancer instead of an employee is just that it doesn't make any sense. It's like literally nonsense to hire an employee. Um, the next thing I'll list is kind of simple logistics, meaning there are situations where making someone an employee is actually pretty complicated so for instance with hit subscribe we work with um authors editors like contract staff all over the world and often it's just like simple discrete things like creating pieces of content but we do have occasion to subcontract or to hire people for other reasons and if they're in other countries for instance as, as a small business hit subscribe really lacks the resources to go and say, oh, well, we're working with somebody in Chile, so let's um, set up a corporate office there and hire someone as a full-time employee. So I guess what I'm getting at is if I'm going to work with somebody in that country or if our business is going to work with someone in that country, it almost has to be on a freelance basis because we just, it, it wouldn't make sense to create all that um, or to, to go through all the like, bureaucracy of, I don't know, sponsoring a visa for that person or figuring out what it would look like to employ a foreign national or to setting up a corporate office in that company or country, all of that is well um, more expense and more problem than simply finding a different person to work with if it came down to it. Um, So we like the people we're working with in other countries, the only way it makes sense to work with them is on a freelance basis. So that's another reason that you might find. That concern kind of goes away as a company gets larger. If you were talking about a Fortune 500 company, they 100% have the resources to make those hires, so you wouldn't see that as a reasonable excuse or reason uh, there. But small and even maybe some like lower mid-market type companies might have that reason, is they just for whatever reason don't have the wherewithal or the infrastructure to make a salaried hire. Um, You know, not for nothing, it might be that you simply want to work with a person that is a freelancer and they don't want a full-time job. So I can think early on especially when I went on my own and I was doing some consulting, subcontracting, that kind of thing, I got multiple, you know, just in situ kind of serious job offers either from clients or for people that I was subcontracting with where they weren't kidding. They were like, hey, do you want, you know, a job here running this team or do you want a job here doing this kind of work? Like we, we would hire you to do that. That's because of the longstanding relationship um, that I had with them in like previous works. It wasn't, that I'm so like great and famous that somebody out of the blue was like, hey, you want a job? We had worked together for a while and it was kind of like, man, I wish you would like come to work here permanently. That would make my life easier. Uh, I wasn't interested in that. So the reason I'm mentioning that is companies might work with a freelancer if you have an established relationship either with the person or the company uh, simply because you as the freelancer don't want full-time work. That's very common. I hear stories all the time about freelancers getting job offers but also... Um, You know, periodically, somebody who says, hey, this came out of nowhere, but after, you know, 10 years of being a consultant, I just took a full-time job. Like, that's a thing that happens. So the company may work with you, the freelancer, just because they like you, and those are your terms of engagement. Um, Another one that uh, I guess is still kind of in the good faith camp, although it starts to get into a little bit more of a gray area, depending on the particulars, is what I'll call workload variability. So as um let's consider like a simple almost cartoonish example let's say that you moved up to like northern alaska where there's always snow and you started a driveway plowing or shoveling business where um you know all the people in your town uh, you took care of removing the snow from their driveway now snow is a very uh, unpredictable sort of concern you might have a week with a blizzard you might have a you know, I don't know, in the summer up there, a couple weeks of unseasonable 40-degree warmth, and all the snow melts, and there is no snow. Um, so week over week, month over month, it's really hard to know how much snow you're going to have, and thus how much snow plowing labor you're going to need. So if you imagine a couple of scenarios, one, let's say that you um, you hire a bunch of salaried employees to do the snow plowing, and two, you're working with a bunch of freelancers, in scenario one, If you pick a number of employees to have when you have um, like really good weeks with lots of snow, you might actually have to turn away business because your employees are just too busy. They're working 15 hour days and you still can't keep up with all the demand. So you're actually leaving money on the table because you are too shorthanded to keep up with the demand. Then in those weeks or months of unseasonable warmth, you're paying a bunch of people to sit around and do nothing and you're collecting no money, which is a different sort of problem. Both of those are bottom line type problems. One is that you're not. And getting as much top line revenue as you could, the other is you're incurring a bunch of expense uh, for no good reason. So imagine instead, if um, you didn't have full-time employees and you just kind of had this large network of people in town that had pickup trucks, and you offered them a kind of side hustle where, hey, anytime there's snow, nights or weekends in addition to your full- time job, put a plow on your truck, come plow, and I'll pay you. In this model, when you have no snow, you're not incurring any cost, you're not paying anybody. Also in this model, when you have blizzards, everyone in town is out working for you, so you're actually getting all of the business you could be getting. So this is what I mean about workforce or workload variability. Um, You might wanna hire freelancers so that you can account for that kind of boom and bust cycle. It's easy to reason about with a business like that. At larger businesses, you know, like Fortune 500s, Typically, the reason you'll see that has more to do with the margins, like um, maintaining kind of a buffer. So you know, imagine, say, like a state government. They might need enough um, IT workers and software developers to kind of keep the lights on with their internal software, maintain it, do like tech support of the in-office staff or whatever. Let's say for the department that takes like 10 people. Um, there will be enough miscellaneous IT work for 10 people and probably more besides and so what that company what that institution would do is maintain that workforce and then when there are um larger waves of work that need to be done they'll bring in contractors to supplement their workforce so what they're trying to do with their i.t budget is guess at the like stable baseline of work and fit that with employees and then anything on top of that, use freelancers for. And that's actually, I say it's a gray area because if abused, um, you can, I don't know, take advantage of staff or something. But usually it's, it's pretty good faith because if you were to hire too many salaried employees, imagine that you really could only justify 10 of them but you had hired 20. What you would wind up doing after a while is doing layoffs or furloughs or reductions in force. So um, you would rather you it would be better for everybody if you only maintained a stable base of employees that you could justify and then flexed up with freelancers because um a freelancer compared to a salaried employee freelancers command more money but the reason they command more money is that you kind of had permission to start and stop their work at a dime it's less of a commitment so an employment relationship is a a lot more akin to a marriage in the corporate world where um, uh, freelancing is kind of like casually dating, I guess. Uh, you would want to only commit to the employees that you felt pretty good that you could maintain that level of employment, and as long as those people were doing good work, they would have work you know, indefinitely. Uh, with freelancers, they don't have that expectation. They charge more, and part of that premium is that you can just say, hey, next week I don't have any work for you. I'll give you a call in a month. So you balance those two concerns. You can do this in good faith ways where you're just trying to make sure that you're taking care of the people that are salaried employees um, as best you can. And there are you know, ways people like take advantage of this. They try to um, maintain as, as low an employment base, if any, as possible um, for a variety of reasons that maybe I'll, I'll get into here in a moment. But I think it's worth kind of calling out that this mostly good, mostly ethical balance is what you most commonly see in larger organizations where they're carrying both a workforce of employees and a workforce of people who are fairly long with the company that might be 1099 contractors, but they might seem like employees because they're around forever. Um, where this starts to get into more of a gray area or even like a you know bad area is that there is unquestionably a profit motive, all things being equal to carry contractors rather than employees, especially if you're able to negotiate the contractors down to an hourly rate that's close to what you would pay an employee. So for instance, and this is in the U.S. um, specifically, I don't know exactly how this goes in other countries, but in the U.S., if I were to hire um, an employee, I'm paying what's called uh, payroll taxes for that employee. Um, state and federal tax plus the FICA taxes, so things like Social Security, um, Medicare, uh, and then you're paying state unemployment tax, all of these taxes come out of that employment relationship. Well, if what I did, and I think companies did this back in the 70s and 80s before they uh, made regulations about it, if I got a brainstorm and said, oh, well, what if I just fired all my employees and rehired them as contractors, hey, cool. Now, I don't have to pay payroll taxes or Social Security or any of that. I don't have to worry about federal unemployment or state unemployment, great. Um, so I wind up paying less in taxes as the employer if I do things this way. Uh, there's also other like you know labor-based concerns. Um, employees tend to have more protection in a variety of ways. Uh, it's harder to break up with an employee. Uh, there can be um, you know, equal opportunity employment claims and, and things of this nature that don't really happen so much with contractors so there's a lot of reasons um, that you might naturally be intrinsically motivated to hire contractors rather than employees uh, if you weren't particularly worried about these things and because that motive exists especially at the grand scale of like fortune 500 companies there are people who are going to have that idea and try as much as they can to get around um, hiring place that prevent that so if you're doing something like that in bad faith and your state or the feds get wind of it, they will audit, they'll come after you, and often you'll get a lot of back fines and, and such. So you, as an employer, want to be really careful about doing that. Um, but without kind of getting into like the, the murky like legal and, and ethical implications there, it is a reason that um, employers might do that, is there's a lot of kind of intrinsic reason to want to have a contractor workforce. and it, large companies have ways of kind of exploiting loopholes and, and figuring things out. So like a common thing that Fortune 500 companies will do is say, look, uh, I wanna be completely up on the up and up. So I'm gonna bring in this company that's kind of a buffer between me and the individuals. So a Fortune 500 company, you know, like a bank or a manufacturer or whatever, Walmart, let's say, they might hire a company called Robert Half or a similar, uh, what's known as a staffing company and say, look, I want a bunch of rental employees, and I'm willing to pay a bit of a premium to have these workers that I don't have to pay these taxes on and that I can just let go whenever I want. And what the companies like Robert Half will do is they'll go out and they'll create that employment arrangement with the people that they bring in and then staff at those Fortune 500 company sites. So the Fortune 500 company is dealing with Robert Half, and they're getting a lot of the benefits of not carrying that employment workforce. And in exchange for a premium that sits somewhere between the difference of contractor and employee, Robert Half is saying, we'll deal with all the Department of Labor and legal stuff so that you don't have to, and then we'll charge you a premium for doing that. So companies have a number of ways of navigating this spectrum between contractors, uh, freelancers, and employees. And that kind of, um, I guess, runs the gamut of at least reasons that I can think of. So when it comes to, I guess, marketing yourself or pitching yourself as a freelancer to these companies, those things can help um, in terms of like how you're going to sell yourself. I I don't know how much I would emphasize trying to take advantage of some of the latter ones and be staff augmentations for like large companies um, because you're going to wind up going through like a vendor broker anyway. So you're not really marketing yourself all that much. It just kind of looks like a slightly different flavor of employment. But on the back side of things, either building up a nice personal network so that people want to work with you personally or gaining um, experience in a place where you have expertise and your clients don't or you're doing very like fixed-scope, predictable things. All of those are great ways to, um, to get freelance work and to build a practice and a business in a way where you're not like competing with employees because as a freelancer, what you really don't want to be doing is answering the question like, why wouldn't I just have an employee do what you're doing? That's really the kind of freelancing purgatory that you can get into. And um, I think by understanding the things that motivate companies to hire freelancers rather than employees, you can um, get out of this like quagmire of being in the middle there or, or God forbid, like trying to convince somebody who's looking to hire an employee to hire you as a freelancer. So yeah, uh, hopefully that answers both questions to a degree, but especially the one about um, why do companies hire uh, freelancers instead of employees. Uh, so yeah, I will catch you next time.